You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. Visit bpn.fm to discover more. Broken records, the albums you wouldn't shut up about. Broken records, the music our guests can't live without. Like Judy, Barbara, Liza, Bet, Betty, Audra, Bernadette. We broadcast this podcast with hopes that someday we might get Patty Welcome to Ben Ramirez's Broken Records on Broadway World, Broadway Podcast Network, and Broadway On Demand. Uh, excuse me? I cannot hear you. Are you in a ball gag? No. It's, it's, what a, you? it's this fucking mask, but I don't. what do I do? I take it off. I don't know where to put it. I don't want it to get all gross. Well, it's fortunate uh, that we have a solution to that now because our first sponsor... Mask Motel, the yes! solution to your mask taking off with nowhere to put it problems. <laughs> Don't get it all disgusting, germy, and COVID-y in your pocket with the rest of the bad shit. Put it mask in the Motel. Mask Motel. It's like a little wallet. Uh, it's washable, reusable, uh, antimicrobial lining to keep your mask fresh and germ-free when you're on the go. It has a cute little keychain ring that you can put on your purse, on your person, on your keys whatever you want it comes Um, in fashion colors y'all yes five different color options right now uh they're running a special five for a hundred it's a perfect stocking stuffer uh get it on mask.com and not mask.com maskmotel.com mask.com do not go to mask.com mask.com is my personal website Yes, honey. Uh, uh, get it on maskmotel.com. And right now, if you enter the code PATTY, that's P-A-T-T-I, at checkout, you get an immediate 10% off for being a Broken Records listener. Oh, my God. You can't afford not to buy these. You can't. So go to maskmotel.com and get your life. Well, for real now, y'all, for the cheap seats, can you see over okay? What? Can you see okay over there at the bar? Can you? Uh, welcome to Patty Lapone. I'm Lemouche. I'm here to begin the masterclass. I don't know what I'm talking about. Welcome to Ben Rimmelauer's Broken Records on Broadway World, Broadway Podcast Network, and very possibly, you can't prove it's not true, Broadway on Demand. Yes. I am your lovely co-host, Ben Rimmelauer, and I'm here with good old reliable... Daniel Nolan. Daniel Nolan. Danielle Nolan. I am here. I am queer and I am bringing you Christmas cheer. You sure are. You brought the Christmas cheer right into my life, girl. Really? That's the truth. You know, I, I really just am embracing fully my uh, basic bitchness this year. I mean, as we talk right now, I'm, I'm burning my Bath and Body Works twisted peppermint 14 ounce candle. And um, I just turned off my uh, fireplace on my TV. I have the, fi- the digital fireplace from Netflix going most days. Wow. So we need a little Christmas more than ever this year, you know? Yes, we do. And, and on that note, we should begin this episode by saying rest in peace to Broadway goddess Rebecca Luker, who yeah. passed at far too young from ALS, mm-hmm. only 59 years old, and it is really, um, 
it's such a devastating loss. You know, I got a text message about it just as we were starting to record. And I thought, you know, our podcast is sort of like um, archival in a way, especially these corn streams when we talk about something old, like today's episode is about uh, the fabulous movie White Christmas. So, you know, this we want this episode to be for any point in time. And because we do have a live stream video show next year, some year that's on every Tuesday at noon. So it's... um you know, that's maybe a place to address current events. But I just thought, you know, Rebecca Luker is such a part of the canon of Broadway history, definitive Broadway. And uh, we we have to, first of all, mention her every chance we get mm-hmm. and preserve her memory for all time. And, um, you know, there's just will never be not the right time to remember uh, just the glory of her. And I'm so grateful that I got to see her on stage in several musicals, uh, including, um, I guess the first thing I saw her in was the secret garden that she was just oh, fabulous. So, so ethereal and um, singular in that. And, and the last thing I saw her in was something totally different. And she was just really wonderful and moving was when she replaced Judy Kuhn on Broadway in fun home. Oh, that's right. I'm really sad I didn't see her in that. I yeah, I, it, I never saw her on stage. It, well, this was this would have been a great one because she was, um, you know, obviously she sang it gorgeously. I mean, Judy Kuhn, like Rebecca, is a soprano, but Judy's also a belter, and that part was not exactly like a coloratura, you know, uh, particularly like lyric soprano kind of role. Um, any opera fans, classical music people out there are like turning over, you know, <laughs> their rolling <laughs> their eyes just- for like. Coloratura and lyric are different things. You don't know what you're talking about. But I'm just saying, you know, it was not a that kind of a part in that vein of like classical style singing. However, of course, Rebecca sang it with absolute purity and beauty. And what was, you know, uh, not surprising, I suppose, but, you know, just really gratifying was what a terrific acting performance it was. And I think that maybe sometimes because the beauty of her voice lent to her often being cast in these sort of, you know, I don't want to say bland, but, you know, these ingenue roles that were maybe less dynamic, it was really wonderful to see her just give a really gutsy, edgy, and compelling acting performance in something modern like that. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I mean, I've uh, seen plenty of clips of her. I think we mentioned her a few episodes of our live stream ago on Name That Belt. And um, uh, just a singular voice, a singular talent, and she will be missed. Rest in peace, Rebecca Luker. We'll definitely be talking about her more on Tuesday on the live stream. All right. Well, with that said, let's get into uh, our film this week. Uh, Okay. So what did you think of White Christmas? Was this your first time? This wasn't your first time watching it. Here's the deal. Um, I uh, am really glad I watched it. I, uh, uh, As I've learned uh, to try to be a better collaborator with you, even when you suggest something I'm not that psyched for, I try to just, just roll over and take it like a bitch. Um, and uh, I, didn't, I believe I did not say boo when you said White Christmas. Um, but I was not that psyched for it, and um, I really enjoyed it. I saw it once before, which was um, like maybe 15 years ago uh, when my then roommate, Brian Cruy, shout out to Brian Cruy, all the Brian Cruy fans, um, 
had uh, made me watch it because it was his favorite movie. He, like yourself, is like a good Christian boy from a small town in Kentucky. And um, Mm -hmm. uh, we were so drunk and stoned, I'm sure, when we watched it at that time in like 2003 or 2004 Mm, or whatever. Um, That I don't remember that much about it, except that I already knew a lot of the songs, which were Irving Berlin standards. Like... Sisters and of course White Christmas and yes, um, your blessings, your blessings and uh, uh, blue skies, blue There's skies, so yes, uh, totally. Um, and uh, so that, but I was not that psyched to watch it again, and it continues to surprise me that the movie that all these like white American Christians uh, feel is so they feel so connected to that y'all feel so connected to as your Christmas holiday movie is this movie like about these like Jews in show business. I mean, these, these <laughs> this gay Jew, Danny Kay, just like, you know, uh, so that was like my, like first thought. I mean, well, my first thought when it started, I have to say it was just like rolling the credits. I was like, yay, Mary Wicks. I get so excited when Mary Wicks is in something. Mary Wicks is um, fantastic in this movie, and uh, she has a pretty big role. I mean, she's such a character actress that a lot of times she's just a little bit part. But she had, I mean, she's really the one who kind of uh, initiates the huge plot twist at the end, the big misunderstanding that results in, you know, the the conflict between Rosemary and Bing. Which I have to say, maybe because my standards were so low after bells are ringing, yeah. um, I did not feel like this was as stupid of an old school like movie plot as as that had felt like. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Also, just on Mary Wicks. Well, first of all, my most recent love for Mary Wicks that was on the corn streams. Oh no, it wasn't on the corn streams. We did. <laughs> I was like, did we corn stream postcards from the edge? We did not. Um, oh, it shit. feels like we did, but she plays Shirley MacLaine's mother in that. Oh, I forgot um, that. But of course she's in a million things that we all grew up million. on sitcoms Sister and movies. Act. And not for nothing, that role has been beefed up in the, um, uh, touring stage version of white Christmas that they do all oh. over the country. That's the part that Lorna Luft plays or oh, interesting. Ruth Williamson, Pamela Myers, those broads, those um, broads. Yeah. Um, well, I'm 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 glad to hear your take on it and to hear you say it doesn't seem stupid because I mean I've seen this movie so many times. I mean I watch it every year, but multiple times a year. You know I've seen it so many times. I just leave it on in the background sometimes. I mean, maybe besides uh, like some like it hot. I think this is the movie I've seen the most, probably out of any movie ever. Um, just because I grew up watching it so much, uh, so now I can't really see it objectively, you know, just because I'm so most of the time I, I just like it for nostalgic purposes. Uh, so uh, it's great to hear kind of an objective uh, viewpoint because I, I was, just love again. I was like, maybe you know, maybe I'm just I'm seeing it with rose colored glasses because I'm so sentimental about it but i mean i think I, I i'm always just drawn in immediately again and the, the huge production numbers and i think rosemary is such a great actress in it and she's great she's really great and i i really i mean i enjoyed all their performances like i don't know why i'm feel kind of snobby towards Bing crosby like what did he ever do to me what have i ever seen him in but just mm-hmm. like i'm never like oh yeah bing crosby but like yeah. he's great danny k is like so great rosemary is absolutely just like flawless and like 
Vera, Vera Allen, I, I don't know. I don't think I have another, well, I guess I've seen her in On the Town, but I didn't really love that movie. But, um, but I love her in this. I think she's so like, just like gorgeous and sassy and great. Yeah. I mean, it was such good casting because, uh, you know, Vera, Vera was such a dancer. I mean, just an amazing dancer. Uh, she was also, I think, in the Call Me Madam movie, which I haven't seen. Yes, uh, she is. But that movie has one star only. Oh, okay. Uh, but, you know, Vera was uh, this amazing, amazing dancer. And, and Rosemary was an amazing singer who didn't really dance. So, you know, Vera gets all these amazing uh, numbers where she's featured the featured dancer. And then Rosemary actually did the singing for both of them. Uh, They dubbed, they dubbed Vera's, uh, you know, uh, lip syncing with Rosemary's vocals. And, and of course, Rosemary also gets her huge numbers to shine. Love you didn't do right by me. Yes, 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 yes. In the big production numbers, she gets the kind of intro bit, just kind of standing there, uh, laughing and talking with the two guys. And I mean, I think I've always kind of had a bad wait, wait, taste. Hold in my on. Mouth. Back to the lip sync for a second. So uh-huh. you're saying to me that in this movie, you hear both Rosemary Clooney, Vera Ellen, Bing Crosby and Danny Kay all lip sync to Rosemary Clooney's pre-recorded voice. <laughs> uh, this movie is like RuPaul's Drag Race. Rosemary, Rosemary just did the vocals for herself and Vera. I mean, she, she no, but they, the guys lip sync to sisters. <laughs> oh, I see what you're saying. Yes, yes, absolutely. Like, They're that's all lip syncing. So yeah, yeah. Uh, and you know, this was Rosemary. I think there's that movie Red Garters, which I've never seen, but this is Rosemary's really only big film credit. And I've always kind of had a bad taste in my mouth uh, for being, even though I think they were, they were close, but uh, uh, I think, you know, when, before Rosemary was cast in this, they thought she was too old for the part. Yeah. And being was like, you know, 20 years older than her anyway. So they literally wanted someone younger than her. Yeah. 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 Sex Hollywood. So for some reason that always put a bad taste in my mouth, but uh, you know, Bing was a huge singing star uh, and you know, he sounds great, but, for my money, Rosemary and Danny Kay are just like the heart and soul yes, of this yes. piece. I mean, are you attracted to Danny Kay in this movie? No, I mean, I'm, a, I'm not not like uh, sexually, but I that's, I, what, that's I, what I mean sexually. I mean, I'm very drawn to him as like, oh my god, he's a star. The yeah, charisma. yeah, yeah. Oh my god, you sound like them. What does she say? Uh, which one doesn't matter? They're both famous. <laughs> What does it matter? They're both famous. My real dream for this, because it's just got, I love that like showbiz talk that they constantly engage in. Oh my God, constant. I want like a downtown, like reverse gender production. Like Uh, I think Molly Pope should be like Danny Kaye. I mean, should be uh, Bing Crosby and Natalie Joy Johnson should be Danny Kaye. Oh my God. Amazing. Amazing. Uh, Who would be uh, the, uh, gender reversed girls who would play like the what males would play the rosemary and vera parts like um uh matt rogers and bone yang (laughs) (laughs) perfect perfect (laughs) anyway so i mean and and i think you know speaking more about rosemary she's so amazing singular voice but i think she's such a great actress in this movie i just think her act i mean she plays that kind of steely uh, distrustful, independent Betty so well, and and you know whenever busybody uh, Emma 
overhears, you know, the wrong patch of conversation on the phone oh, and then right. tells tells Betty. I mean, I always have to just, you know, tell myself that it's all going to work out because I get so <laughs> mad at that part. But, uh, you know, then Rosemary immediately just turns against uh, Bing and does her own yeah. thing. And, and I just think, you know, she is so committed to that and she plays it so well that their chemistry is just like heightened, heightened, heightened. Uh, until the end, of course, when she shows up to do the army number and he's so happy. Yeah. I love it so much. And I, I mean, it's the Technicolor of it all. Now that I watch it, you know. Vis- and it's- is it Vista Color? <laughs> yeah, Vista Vision. The first <laughs> film in Vista Vision. <laughs> Ooh. <laughs> um, about the songs, like just like as yeah. a musical theater person, like, I I mean, I... I love that I'm trying to figure out like what the world of this movie is like, because like they don't really sing like it's what is it? I forget which means what, like the songs are not diegetic or the songs, no, the songs are diegetic. It's one or the other because yeah, they sing them like as their characters performing, although they definitely yeah. take liberties where like, they just like will perform anytime. Hey, you want to hear a song I wrote? Let me sing two verses. And then she's like, let's have an emotional conversation. And then I'll jump in on the third verse. Right, um, right, right. <laughs> but like, um, but like, but they live in this world where every song that you could hear anywhere happens to be written by Irving Berlin. And yeah. I guess he wrote like a couple of these for the movie, but they also just felt free to just like pull from the Irving Berlin, just like any old Irving yeah. Berlin song they wanted. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, that little montage at the beginning, they throw in a lot of them. Um, yeah, that's that's the songs I was trying to think of that I couldn't like, with just like Blue Skies and just like Heatwave. Yes, Heatwave. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. Um, and um, it's just like, can you imagine if there was like, just like a, um, like, you know, a, a, a Bobby and Kristen Lopez, like movie musical where like randomly <laughs> their songs from like Book of Mormon, Frozen. Right, right, right. <laughs> I mean, it, it kind of reminds me of like, uh, what was Till the Clouds Roll By? And that's the, it's the Jerome Kern. But that's like musical. a biopic. Right, right. He's actually a character in it. But yeah. Um, yeah, I mean the the Wallace and Davis team or whatever. It's uh so many movies, musical movies back in the day did this. It's like they were about composers, you know, like they wrote about show business. It wasn't like um the opposite of diegetic, whatever that is, where it's, you know, like Yentl, like she's just singing by herself yes. in a field, you know. Yeah. It's like actually about show business, the process of putting on a show, casting chorus girls, all of that. Yeah. Um, and the thing I think this film uh, is so, it gives it that extra little layer is that it asks the question, you know, through Betty's character kind of, can you be a good person and be in show business? Or, you know, do you have to have like this selfish angle? Like the yes. thing that Bing brings up at the beginning, yeah. like, do you have yeah. to have an agenda? Are you always looking to get something or can you love someone despite their fame or connections? Yeah. And she she seems to be kind of the one pulling for that theme. And then, of course, it gets all fucked up because of Busybody Mary Wicks. But, um, yeah, I mean, I just... And the thing I love about it, you know I'm a sucker for anything on a train, plane, or boat. And the fact that there's a huge uh, sequence on this cozy little, you know, uh, passenger train when they sit in the diner car and sing Snow and, you know, drink their, like, milkshakes or whatever... I, I love just, that on this train, like, you buy, like, a sleeping berth that's, like, you know, bunk beds, like, in the public mm-hmm. hallway, but then mm-hmm. you get a private living room. 
Yeah, yeah. It's, I mean, back then, things trains were all the rage back then. And things and were like, so you, crazy. The train is sold out. There are no tickets. There are no tickets. There are no tickets. Oh, you can pay and just sit in the club car, which is completely empty all night. Yeah, instead of like, you know, like RuPaul's Drag Race on tour style, just sleeping in a bunk bed with a curtain. Yeah. Anyone could come by and disturb you. Mm. I mean, and the fact that the price of the admission or the price of the uh, train is um, – it's so expensive. It's like almost a hundred bucks. I'm like back then that was like 700 bucks. I mean, train yeah. travel was not cheap. Yeah. What is up with that? Uh, I was always, I'm always so shocked at that, but um, I, I love that. Like I want to like do a deep dive in like what things cost in the old days. Like, like why were they like, Oh, for a nickel, you could have a night out on the town, but like, yeah. oh, you can't afford to go to Vermont on the train in a, in the club car. Exactly. Well, I've I've always been told 1950s uh, because of I I know this because of I Love Lucy, uh, and this movie was made in the 50s as well. Uh, they say multiply it by maybe more nowadays, but you know back in the early aughts they said multiply it by seven, and that will give you kind of like today's value mm. of what things cost. Um, so you know on Lucy or whatever, they're always like, oh, like can I have you know five dollars to get a new pair of shoes? And it's like, well, that would be what thirty nowadays. But then there's also like weird things like inflation 35. and like, or, you know, things yeah. like real estate markets where like houses would have cost like $5,000 that are now a million dollars, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Um, anyway, but that's, you know, what keeps me coming back to this movie is just the cozy interior scenes, the, uh, you know, Vermont Inn surrounded by snow uh, with, you know, Vera Ellen and the general and his granddaughter, Susan, and everyone's just so happy and cozy. And Vera Ellen and Danny Kay fall in love. They come up with this harebrained scheme, which is just so cruel. Just like gaslighting Betty into thinking they're they're together and, and she needs to go off and find a man. And uh, yeah, I mean, I just love it. It just makes me feel so, uh, so cozy and like I'm like I'm there with them. Yeah, I mean, really what it's about for me. Oh, interesting. So when you watch this movie, do you feel like you're hanging out with your friends? Yeah, kind of. I mean, again, I've seen it so much. It's the same reason I love watching Murder, She Wrote, especially the Cabot Cove episodes, because it's like, I know Jessica's apartment. I know she's like, you know, brewing coffee and Seth's about to come over for a slice of pie. And it's just like homey and familiar. So when I put on this movie, it's the same thing. I've seen it so many times that uh, it's like, oh, okay, time to go back to the club car, time to go to uh, the nightclub in Miami. And it feels like stuff that, you know, we would do going to Provincetown or Fire Island. You know, it's like um, resorty and vacation-y and the whole, yeah. the whole movie is that. It, the whole movie is like a vacation trip, basically. I mean, I love in the early in the movie when um, uh, Danny Kaye and Vera Ellen are dancing and they just mm-hmm. kind of like waltz right out of the room onto like the like yeah. ter- terrace. And I mean, it's so cheesy because it's like the backdrop for like the like beach in Miami is like, it's like a, yeah. it's like a indoor swimming pool with like, like it looks more like fake snow than fake sand, but there's like palm trees and stuff. But, yeah. Yeah. But it's kind of like that magical thing that we talk about, like like in the song "Begin the Begin" of like mm-hmm. um, down by the shore and orchestras playing, you know. Yeah, yeah, and I love that. It starts out in uh, you know Southern Florida, and then it goes up to Vermont, so you get all the seasons, all the temps, and um, 
I don't know. It's just in the again the technicolor of it all. It's just a very warm, bright, uh, happy film. Uh, you know, and I always get a little teary and misty whenever the general comes in and all his uh, men are there on Christmas Eve to see him and support him. And he was a good character. I um, I also like uh, what do you the the minstrel thing? They sort of like. I mean, I wonder. Oh. I'm, I mean, thank God they at least just do it with like red gloves. You know. Yeah. Yeah. Well, so this this movie was kind of based on Holiday Inn, which came, you know, before it, and also starred Bing Crosby. And and oh. the, uh, the song White Christmas was originally right. sung in that film. I saw and that only... on Broadway, but I've never seen that movie. Yes, I've only seen the movie once. And uh, some people think it's superior just because it's it was first. And, you know, it it's a classic black and white film. But they do the minstrel number, and it's total blackface. And... Uh, it's like a, you know, extended blackface number. So it's very uncomfortable watching it now. I mean, I, I it's interesting that they, you know, if I wouldn't have necessarily known whether to guess in 1954 when they made White Christmas, if they would have um, sort of, you know, uh, what do you call it? Like whitewash the blackface so to speak mm-hmm. um with the you know i mean because they just they just they all wear red gloves and um it seems like maybe like some of them might be wearing a little extra like tanning lotion but i <laughs> i don't know if that's real spray on tan um, uh like yeah vera, vera allen's legs were like really dark in that number oh um, yeah mm-hmm. but you know blackface is a thing and like I, that's not blackface you know um yeah. They are celebrating a minstrel show, but like, you know, certainly for like a kid watching that, like, I don't think you would necessarily have any idea what it's about. No, I never knew what that was until like, you know, however old I was when I figured what that meant. But as a kid watching it, I had no idea what a minstrel show was. I I didn't check, but I'm pretty sure that when they do like the Lorna Luff tour nowadays, it like does not (laughs) have that number. (laughs) (laughs) Well, there is that. And then... And I think in in uh, Holiday Inn, there's a it, it spans the whole year. It's not just a Christmas movie. It's yeah. like they start with like Lincoln's birthday uh, in February, and 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 someone sings a song about Abraham Lincoln. And um, in this movie, there's a line Danny K says. He's like, "Let's let's try the Abraham number," which in in uh, uh, Holiday Inn, I remember it being a little bit problematic, sung sung by a black actress. And, um, but in, in White Christmas, it's just kind of a quick dance number with no words at all. Just Vera Ellen and one of those chorus men. Speaking of uh, that, those chorus men, how hot hot is that lead dancer guy? Oh, so, so much. Uh, I think his name is John, John Brascia or Brassia or something. Hmm. There's also one in... One of the four in Love You Didn't Do Right with Rosemary at the Carousel Club, he went on to be in uh he played a big role in the West Side Story musical. Mm. I can't remember which which uh which guy, but um but yeah, I always like to watch in these old movies, I all these chorus men, I'm like, I wonder which I wonder how many of these were quote straight and stayed straight their whole career and how many like were secretly having, you know, gay affairs on the side. 
Yeah, I mean, it's funny because this guy, like, I looked him up and, like, he definitely was, like, straight. He actually kind of seemed, like, convincingly straight because he was married to, like, a bunch of different women over his life. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know why I consider that to be convincingly straight, but it's it, like it, a playboy. <laughs> yeah. But, um, but I mean, I defer, I didn't even know he was going to be a dancer. And his first appearance in White Christmas, he's, they're just, like, unpacking at the resort. And he, like, barks out something about, like, you know, uh, you know, girl dancers are in the cabins on the left, or I don't know, you know, whatever he says. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and uh, it's like, um, he, uh, I, I, I just thought, I, I was like, oh, hi, company manager. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, and he just, I mean, if I have ever seen, what do they say, gay face is when you look like you just smelled fresh baked cookies. Yes. <laughs> I was like, mm, I want to get all up in his Nestle Toll House, girl. Honey, um, just you just an old fresh baked uh, sandwiches and buttermilk. Yes, yes. But um, um, but then and then he and then I was so happy that he turned out to be in so much more of the movie. But um, yeah, uh, I, I I always notice all. I mean, and the thing is, I mean, some of it's a little or a lot unbelievable. It's like they're at this little Vermont inn. And, you know, this little stage in this hall and then it it cuts to these huge musical numbers and it's like just like hundreds and hundreds of people on stage. You're like, "Mm, that doesn't seem uh, logical. (laughs) Um, I mean, again, you know, I always think of, uh, you know, the Ziegfeld numbers from like Funny Girl, His Love Makes Me Beautiful. I mean, back then they did not, uh, you know, no expense spared. Totally. They like to have a complete uh, chock full stage of people, props, costumes, everything. Well, look, even when the two sisters, uh, when Rosemary Clooney and Vera Ellen show up at the resort for their gig, which is then canceled initially, they're, you know, they're told we'll pay you your 50, yeah, 50% salary. cancellation fee, but there's literally nobody at the resort. And they're like, you know, no, they wind up saying they're going to do it anyway because being Crosby and everything, but like, but that show has like a full band, like just the two girls. Yeah. Like, was that band gonna get the cancellation fee? Like, does the band right. just like on retainer at the hotel all the time? Yeah, they're just always there. I just love that old show business. Oh, also back to like the whole like Jewishness of it all. Like yes. one thing Bing Crosby says to Danny Kay early on is you utzed me along or something. Oh yeah, you utzed me along every step of the way. Yeah, like he's talking Yiddish. <laughs> That is so funny. Again, like some, I've seen it so many times. I've never, you know, even picked up on that. But uh, and by the way, that's not so even like true. common Yiddish. Like I only know that word because my sister uses it. But my sister, in a very like anachronistic, like not our generation way, Lucy, mm-hmm. like Lucy Rimmelauer, like is like very fluent in Yiddish. <laughs> it's just like she like pulls out words that like I have never heard that my parents don't even use. Like. <laughs> But, like, that's where I know Utz from. And I can't believe, like, mm. Bing like Bing Crosby. Like, I, I feel like if I would have guessed, I would have thought, wouldn't Bing Crosby be, like, an anti-Semite or something? But I'm like, sure. No, here he is, like, talking Yiddish. Right, right. It's so true. Uh, it's so show busy. And it's so, um, 
oh, well, come on, we got to go see this sister act. I got a letter from an RB pal asking for a favor. You know, it's just so like all that, all that, all that. But also that time, as you said, so many things were about show business. Yeah. And, you know, I know that like America at that time was really like sort of seduced by the glamour of what Hollywood and Broadway were supposed yes, to be or, yeah. you know, were or whatever. Mm-hmm. But like, it's funny because I've kind of like grown up thinking that like artistically you need to like not do that. Like I, uh, you know, as a teenager, like getting into Sondheim and everything and like wanting to work myself in musical theater, like I always thought like, oh, the reason that Merrily We Roll Along um, didn't succeed was because mm-hmm. people didn't find these characters likable when it was about them trying to make it in show business, you know? Um, Mm -hmm. and, uh, you know, and in a broader scale, you know, maybe I thought that about Follies or like even Sunday in the Park with George, this, you know, it's not show business, but the idea that it's about this artist and his work is like inaccessible to a general audience. Um, Mm -hmm. and like, I always sort of took that as like, you know, um, one of like the lessons or something. And yeah, it's interesting to think about like the exceptions to that. I mean, we, I'm trying to think like, are there... Um, I mean, it's, I mean, it's so hard to even compare anything nowadays because we're in such like a reality TV kind of era. So it's Mm -hmm. like, you know, I think we are very interested in like behind the scenes of like actual working artists, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah. I mean, nowadays, you know, I immediately think of like La La Land, which is all about, it's more about the film industry, but um, it's kind of an insidery take on, on that. And then, before that, but that was also um, like such a throwback, La La Land. Yeah, 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 and definitely influenced by you know these these huge mega musicals of uh, the fifties and Bells Are Ringing, our last corn stream. You know, he is uh, a writer, yes, and, totally, and and she's trying to get him to write. And then, well, I think uh, American in Paris, he's also a songwriter, mm-hmm. and so it's yeah it was a real thing back then but are but i mean am i just forgetting that there are more things about that nowadays and i'm just like not giving like musicals or just movies even just movies you know or like i guess even tv shows like um i mean i always hear you know Bur- uh, birdman that movie that won best picture yes. but that was ago. like an art movie and it was sort of you know i mean it was and you know it wasn't necessarily like a blockbuster like mainstream right. kind of thing other than the oscars i just remember people saying Hollywood loves movies about Hollywood. You know, Hollywood loves movies about itself or behind the scenes or or what goes on. Um, But I don't know, you know, like you're saying, I don't know if that really translates to an audience. Yeah. uh, I mean, but but maybe it can. I mean, you know, I mean, honestly, maybe the Sondheim shows flopped because like people found Sondheim's work inaccessible, not the subject matter. Right. I mean, Um, also think about the prom, you know, it was a big hit. And now the Netflix. um, It was not a big hit. hit. It was a flop. Was it? Yeah, it was absolutely a flop. Um, Yeah. Well, now the movie is, you know, this huge, uh, big budget film and it's because Ryan Ryan Murphy wanted to make it and he's fascinated with that, but I haven't heard whether the movie has been successful or not. You know, uh, I know the reviews were mixed, um, but, but I do think though that like, you know, Ryan Murphy's not alone in that. Obviously he's tapped into something. I mean, look at Glee, you know, um, and, uh, I mean, it's the reality. T- you know, I, I watched this documentary uh, on the plane uh, called Jawline. Have you heard of that? 
Mm-mm. It's produced by Hulu. It's on Hulu. And um, it's fascinating. It's about this 16, I think he's 16 year old, maybe even younger. This boy, this teenage boy who's trying to become a social media star uh, in a, mm-hmm. from, from a very poor family uh, in a teeny town in uh, Tennessee, I think it is. Maybe it's, I think it's Tennessee. Um, and, uh, and it, and it, he's the main focus of the movie, although it also looks at, um, these other kids who sort of are what he's aspiring to be, you know, that have hundreds of thousands of followers on Instagram and these other apps yeah. and that, um, and this fascinating character who was referred to as the Louis B. Mayer of social media. Uh, he's oh, this, wow. this 22 year old gay guy in LA named Michael Wiest who is a manager of social media stars and all his oh clients, God. all his clients are like 17 year old, like, like Insta hotties. Um, and he, he has this house that they all live in and it's like a farm and he'll Uh-oh. be like, he'll be like, you haven't, but he's a kid too. You know, I mean, yeah. and it doesn't seem like he's using them for sex or anything. He's like, I think he's right. like, making them stars and making money off them, you know, but he's, like, I mean, it's- <laughs> he's like, it's 10 AM go make a video. And the guy's like, I'm hungry. He's like, have a protein bar and get on cam, you know? And, um, Oh my god, this is like an old Judy Garland movie, it's like fucking, Summer Stock or Daniel, you, know, you have to watch it. It is so fascinating. It's like a modern version of like those old school uh film when they go to camp and put on shows. Totally and, or stage oh door, you know. Yeah, um, yeah, like, stage door. You, you have to watch this. I mean, I think it screams out. I think it should be a musical. I was gonna um, say uh, our our friend uh TBJ should help write it, Jake Shears. Yeah. <laughs> um it's like you've, you've got to watch the movie. It's I, I mean I was crying, I was laughing, I loved Aww. it. Um, but uh, but you know, but I, and that movie I think was very acclaimed at Sundance and all that. So I I think that like um, you know maybe to the more to the point, people are interested in like show business behind the scenes stuff now. They're just mm-hmm. not that interested in Broadway, you know. Yeah. Which is why, like, you know, Smash was not successful. Right. That's very true. Very true. I mean, and and also it's so, you know, even Smash with these semi-big TV and film stars in it, it's so insidery. You know, like, even me who was into Broadway and into theater, you know, seeing clips of Smash now, I'm like, oh, my God, I didn't realize she was in this or I had no idea who this was back then. And, you know, these cameos by these Broadway people. And Yeah, but those were like Easter eggs. I mean, I think Smash. Right, right. I don't think that's you needed to get that to get Smash. No, I'm just saying like it's very uh, the Broadway community is not uh, uh, super recognizable or super uh, known and the ins and outs of Broadway aren't super known to the general public. Sure. But I mean, that aspect, I think that was almost more like the good wife or something where it's like, you film a show in New York, law and order, you know, you're going to have mm-hmm. Anne Harada. You're, you know, you're going to yeah, have sure. Carolee mm-hmm. Carmelo. That yeah. doesn't, you know, the stars of the show were the stars of, you know, Will and Grace and, you know, the grifters and, um, uh, American Idol, you know, mm-hmm. mm-hmm. I, I don't know. Is the Grifters Angelica Houston's biggest credit? I wasn't sure what to leave. I yeah, I was like, who? Um, yeah, the the witches. I mean, Thank I mean you. the Adams family. Yes, Adams family. There it is. Love Speaking me, of Carolyn Carmelo, 
Speaking of Carolee Carmelo, and when are we not? Have you? By uh, the way, I never saw the musical of The Addams Family. Did you? I did not either. I, I did not. I wish that I had. I wasn't even in New York, I don't think, whenever it was on. But uh, I'd never seen it. But I mean, I, I do know, I think when I was in Oklahoma, it it was coming through touring a lot and there were regional productions. So it's one of those shows that definitely has a life yeah. still. It's weird. You know, Andrew Lippa uh, wrote the score to that. And um, I loved the score that he wrote for The Wild Party, the Mm off-Broadway Wild Party. mm -hmm, mm -hmm. But I haven't really kept up with him. Like, I know he wrote uh, The Addams Family and he wrote Shrek. And I never saw either one of them. I saw, I watched Shrek on Netflix a few years ago and it was okay. Um, I've actually actually never even seen, like, the real Shrek. Really? Yeah. I, I don't know what I read recently, but something I saw said that it was recently inducted into, like, some, you know, historically and aesthetically significant film list, like Shrek from 2000, whatever, which it yeah. is. It's like a great movie and it was a hit, but uh, it's just funny. It's like this green ogre is like a historically significant film, but I, I remember liking it. And I liked, and I liked the the show when I saw it on Netflix, but um, it was good. It just, you know, Shrek's not really my thing, but yeah. um, you know, Sutton putting on a fat suit, being an ogre. We have to stand. I thought that was Brian Darcy James. <laughs> that was such an interesting. Are you making not... <laughs> go ahead. Go on. Are you making jokes like over my head? Um, that was in that weird run of shows that Sutton was doing right after. Um, oh, God, it was relentless. Millie, the drowsy chaperone. <laughs> Little, Little women. women. She wouldn't stop. And then worst of all. The show, Frankenstein. A, the show that was a smack in the face of all that is good and holy. Which was? Anything Goes. Oh, right. That was, that was the, the, the grand finale. How very dare she. Yeah. Yeah. Um, she, what, I mean, I guess Music Man's coming up, but I guess I saw her in Violet, which I did not like. But um, I didn't love Violet. I mean, I'm not the biggest fan of Janine Tesori, even though I like Fun Home. Mm-hmm. Um, but I thought Sutton was fine in Violet. I mean, I didn't, I thought she was good. I didn't think it would have been better with somebody else. Yeah, I guess that's true. Well, um, do we have anything else to say about White Christmas? Um, let me check my notes. Um, check your notes. Uh, well, also like, I mean, this is so random, but do you kind of think maybe that, um, Vera Ellen has a little bit of a Nicole Kidman quality, like facially speaking? Yeah, totally. Oh, it's funny you bring that up because... You know, she was a dancer, which rumors, you know, that maybe she had an eating disorder. But the reason she was in every scene, she has her outfits have a really high collar. It's because she had a really thin neck and her and because of that, her her neck had aged prematurely. So she was really self-conscious about her neck. So that's why in all her costumes, they're high collared. Oh, my God. I can't with you, Hollywood. Because she had her neck look, I mean, as Nora Ephron says, I feel bad about my neck. So, um, you know, but she was so thin, just like teeny, teeny, tiny. And then Rosemary, you know, was seen by many in the biz as too fat, even though she was, you know, just a curvy, beautiful woman. It's funny because when you think of Rosemary Clooney, like as she came to be, you can only watch her in this movie and think she's so little. (laughs) I know. In context, she really is the thinnest ever. Um, 
I was reading about her as well. I, I have never, I love her so much, but I've never read any books. I mean, I think she's written several uh, memoirs, autobiographies, but I've never read anything by her or about her. But from the research I've done, she had really a tough go of it. I yeah. think she was bipolar and she, I mean, she was a lifelong smoker and died from lung cancer, but I think she was addicted to pills early on. And I think she got um, that all together though. I mean, I, the only thing yeah, I've, yeah. I've read about her is, um, uh, a book called the night and the music and, mm-hmm. um, it chronicles, um, three, uh, Titanic cabaret stars, uh, in the nineties and it's Rosemary Clooney, oh. Julie Wilson and Barbara cook. Mm, and it, it goes back and forth chapter by chapter between the three of them over the course of a year while they're playing Ooh. major engagements. Lo- Rosemary's playing at the Carlisle. And of course, I'm sorry, Rosemary's playing at rainbow and stars in this book. And, Oh, I guess she, maybe she does one at rainbow and stars and one at the Carlisle. And she, um, but you know, long runs. I mean, she plays each of those yeah. gigs for like six weeks or something, you know, where she's doing seven shows a week. And she's doing all the major TV interviews. I mean, it's a level of sort of, you know, mainstream cabaret that like kind of doesn't exist. It really only ever existed in the modern times with Rosemary Clooney, I would think. Um, But uh, that would be a good musical. She's up for a Grammy and all that. Yeah, it would be actually. You should read it because it's it certainly portrays the third act of her life, which is much more happy and peaceful than, yeah. than I guess what she went through with the addiction issues and, and financial problems and her tumultuous, tumultuous marriage to Jose Ferrer. Yes. Yes. Well, and that's so, um, it seems so spot on in relation to my interest with Rosemary, because I actually prefer her later stuff. You know, there's a bunch, I mean, there's so many albums. I don't even know if they're all on Spotify, but there are a few on Spotify from, the nineties where she was kind of in that phase and ah, they're so, so good. I mean, it's like Barbara cook, you know, aged like a fine wine. Uh, she just sound and in the videos too. It's just so grounded. That said, when she started saying love, you didn't do right by me, a song that I actually know very well from listening to Rosemary Clooney albums from the olden mm-hmm. days, mm-hmm. Um, you know, or maybe it's just on some compilation, but it comes up for me a lot. Yeah. Uh, I did not know that was going to be in this movie and I lived for it. It made me want to watch uh, Rosemary Clooney just stand in a fancy gown and sing old fashioned big numbers with people dancing to her sides for an hour. Totally. You know? Totally. And that dress she wears is so mm. beautiful. I mean, she, she's also such a great example of, uh, you know, I always talk about Marilyn, but Marilyn did it well. It's like those old yeah. stars who don't have dance training or minimal dance training, but they have such presence that the the director, the choreographer, whoever uh, works around them, and they know how to stage everything around them and and create a space for them that highlights, uh, you know, their voice and charisma, but also just their stage presence that doesn't really require them to do much choreography. Very yeah. minimal. Yeah. You know, and even in that number, Rosemary, you know, lifts her arms and, you know, a few angles here and there. But it's all those four guys who are doing all the heavy lifting dance wise. Right. She's just, you know, the fabulous center of it all. Living the dream. <laughs> I love that scene at the Carousel Club. I mean, first of all, just the the Carousel Club. The fact that that ever existed in New York is just so fantastic. fantastic. Um, back whenever there was just like dozens of nightclubs. It's a type of thing that really doesn't exist that much anymore. But um 
with that said, I um I've been watching a lot of TCM uh this week. They've been doing their uh every night's like a slew of kind of holiday, holiday adjacent movies. And um last night I watched uh Shop Around the Corner, which is a movie mm. with Jimmy Stewart. It's what you've got mail and she loves me. It's the source material for those. Hey, isn't it uh, Jim- Jimmy Stewart and Judy Garland? No, it's Jimmy Stewart and um oh what's her name? Margaret Sullivan. But then also on TCM right now is In the Good Old Summertime, which is with Judy Garland, which is a remake of Shop Around the Corner. Oh, I'm so confused. <laughs> so it's just like every there's so much you know shop uh in the good old summertime she loves me you've oh, got I've mail and, in the good old summertime i loved it yeah yeah so on, that's that's next on my list yeah, but they yeah. all come from shop around the corner which is uh in the good old summertime is where she works in the in the music shop yes yes and in in uh shop around the corner it's like she loves me it's like a jewelry you know knickknack store or whatever and she loves me. it's mail, a parfumery parfumery yes yes Anyway, well, anything else to say to the listeners before we sign off? Just I want to wish them a Merry Christmas with lots of presents to make them happy. <laughs> yes, yes. Um, someday soon we all will be together. If the fates allow, until then we'll have to muddle through somehow. All right. Bye, Ben. Bye, Daniel. Thanks for listening to Ben Rimmelauer's Broken Records on Broadway World. For more episodes, visit Broadway World, iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever podcasts do be. (laughs) This episode was edited by me, Daniel Nolan. Thanks to Emmy-winning composer and lyricist Lance Horn for the Broken Records theme song. Follow us both, Ben Rimmelauer and Daniel Nolan, on all y'all's socials. That's Ben Rimmelauer. B-E-N-R-I-M-A-L-O-W-E-R. And that's Nolan with an E, not Nolan with an A. Nolan with an A, isn't it? Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theatre Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theatre professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the RISE Theater Directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E dot org because only together we rise.